looking at chapter 9, that might be familiar to you because it's a passage that a lot of people go to at Christmas time. Um, and it talks about uh, some names of, of the Messiah that, that is to come. And the one who is predicted to come into the world to bring God's kingdom, His government, to work. And it was a glorious promise given long ago to a group of people who were in fear for their very lives and for their very existence. And Isaiah comes and, and brings this, this comfort uh, to the people of Israel, especially those in the, in the northern kingdom uh, who were um, uh, afraid and, 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 and in darkness and, and uh, caught up in their paganism. And uh, Isaiah predicted um, both doom and restoration. And this is the restoration part that he preaches here. In Isaiah 9. Let's read those verses together. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask God that you would add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. There is not a whole lot that we seem to be able to trust these days. Um, sometimes we put our faith and trust in people and they let us down. And uh, we, we seem to be continually let down. Uh, people uh, seem to love lies today. I was just um, talking about this um, uh, or saw this on, on YouTube. It's, it's not so much that people just uh, you know, want to protect themselves or protect their power. Or protect their their money coming in, <laughs> you know. Uh, th th those tend to be the motivating factors of lying. But it just seems like people just love lying for the sake of lying. They 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 want to do it, and uh, no, we we can't trust seem to trust people these days from what they tell us. We've got political leaders, you know, who um, you know they they want to lead us, but but we can't seem to trust them. That they're, they're either fallible or they're they're purposely corrupt. And, you know, we're looking for somebody to bring us um, through the, the, this economy. We're looking through people to, to lead us um, uh, away from these uh, conflicts that are going on overseas. And in and, uh, and this Israel and Gaza war and this Russia-Ukraine war, you know, we're looking for people to, to lead us in, in these tough times. And, and it seems like they're, they're leading us more and more into these wars and, and, and more and more into this, this strife and conflict. I mean, uh, you know, um, nearly half a million people have died in this Russia-Ukraine conflict happening overseas. And we're looking for somebody who can, who can stop this, who can bring peace, who, who, who can negotiate these sides, and who can, um, you know, help to end this war. And I don't even think it needed to start. We just can't seem to find people to, to trust in, in, in this life. And sometimes, you know, we're busy looking, so, looking to solutions within this realm of, of human beings who, who are also fallible and, and, and who mess up 
and, and, and are corrupt and, and um, you know, are caught up in their wicked and evil ways and, and, and people who, even though they might be good intentioned, uh, they, they make mistakes, they, they, they fail. I mean, even I as pastor fail. I mean, we, you know that. <laughs> I hope you know that anyway. If, if, if you're failing at times, then I'm failing at times. I, I can tell you that. Um, you, you can know that. But, you know, we, we're always looking for somebody to save us. And so we, we uh, over the years, created these narratives of, of um, a superhuman, um, highly evolved who would come and save the world. In fact, that's what Hitler viewed himself as when he came. And, of course, we know he, he was actually uh, very evil and corrupt and, and was willing to uh, destroy human life in order to see his glorious... Um, uh, evolutionary vision come about. But that, uh, if, if you're looking in, in this life for any kind of salvation, any kind of political leader to come and save you and straighten things out, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. The only thing that, that can really happen is, is help from outside. And so people begin talking about things like the gods and, 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 and even superheroes and, and those kinds of things. You know, we, we've been enamored with the idea of superheroes over the years, but all of those go back to the, to the ancient Greek myths. We need somebody outside of us to come save us and put an end to those who are oppressing us and, and, and rescue us from, from our enemies and, and give us the prosperity we're looking for. But there is only one God who is completely transcendent, who is not uh, swayed or, or, um, or, or can be bought or paid for or bribed or, or anything like that. There's only one God who, who truly um, is good and, and who loves His world. And it, and it is the God who created all things, the Creator God, the one true God, who, who we call Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three-in-one God, who has made great and wonderful promises to us that He would establish a kingdom that would serve in, in, in justice and in righteousness and in peace because nobody could challenge His power or His goodness. And He has uh, promised to do that through what He calls a Son, or what the Bible calls a Messiah. And so Isaiah 9 predicts this in a time when, 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 when this northern kingdom of Israel, there were still God's people, God still um, considered them His people, but they had gone off into uh, paganism un, un, under King Ahab, and now King Ahaz as well. Um, this is the time in which um, Isaiah is, is, is you know, speaking to uh, the, these groups and um, you know, he's trying to give them uh, reassurance that, that, that even though you know, we're facing the, this threat from Assyria, um, God has promised a, a salvation and a restoration afterwards. I mean, the reason all this was happening was because the people had turned away from God, had turned towards their own devices, had turned towards the pagan gods of the people, the very people that God told them to drive out and get rid of their wickedness, get rid of their idolatry. He let them, the, the, the Israelites let them continue on and, and they even began adopting their practices. And, you know, you, you can only push God away so many times before He lifts up His hand and says, okay, have at it. Guess, guess what's going to happen? The, the, these Assyrians over here that I've been holding back are going to come and they're going to wipe you out. And of course, we know that not long after Isaiah, the, the, or during Isaiah's time period, excuse me, that the Assyrians came in, they took out the northern kingdom, and they threatened the southern kingdom 
uh, where um, Isaiah actually lived, and that's where he prophesied the most was in the southern kingdom. Um, they, they come knocking on their doorstep too. But, you know, these, these were terrible and dark times that, that Isaiah was, was in, and he was um, worried himself, but, but people were looking for reassurance. And so he makes this, this, this prediction. And beginning in, in, in uh, verse 2, going back just a little bit, he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has light shone. And so we know um, that from the, the New Testament, especially, that, that this light is, is uh, used to describe Jesus, the light of the world. The one who comes in and shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, the Apostle John says. But here he's saying that light's going to come to you, even though you're in darkness, and even though you're in, you're in this great strife, light is going to come to you. Something to shine forth and, and, and cast out that, that evil around you. And, and, and that light is going you know what you know the properties of light? First of all, light is, is pure, it's unadulterated, and, and, and when light shines um, in a darkness, you know, the, the, the darkness flees and um, it, it cannot overcome that light. Um, and and uh, you're, you're drawn to that light. That light guides your, guides your steps and where to go. All those wonderful things about light that we can think of, that's who God is. God is, is light. And He shines forth in the darkness to not only give us um, um, something to follow or, or, or to go after, but also as, as a revelation of himself, this is the truth. Not only is it about you know, our physical eyes seeing the light, but it's about a light of understanding coming upon us about who God is and, and what his intentions are for us. God has always intended the good of his people. And he has promised great promises to them, e even though... Um, they, they were facing judgment and doom. God, God has offered them a light and a restoration that was to come. And so that brings us down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now I thought about that, and a, and a professor you know, that I had back in seminary talked a lot about this. But you know, when you are in darkness... <laughs> And, and, and when you're facing um, oppressive enemies and you're facing all kinds of wickedness around you, who wants to look towards a baby to save them? <laughs> I mean, even in those days, they were looking for this mighty warrior to come, this divine warrior to come and wipe out their enemies. But this statement kind of turns the world upside down. And in and, and, and their time, and, and, and to, you know, really in our time, but especially in their time, they looked on, on, on child, on children as, as being weak. You know, the, I mean, children should be seen and not heard what, what was the axiom back then. They, they, didn't, you know, they, they didn't value children. I mean, if, if it was the firstborn son, yes, because he was going to inherit everything. But, but in, in, in the eyes of people, they, they weren't looking for a child to be born. They were looking for somebody to come and rescue them from, from their oppressive enemies right then and there. But the enemies of mankind go much deeper than, than just uh, the, these out, outward oppressive foes. The enemy of mankind is within. The, the corruption, the hatred, 
the wickedness, the loving of the, of the darkness, the loving of sin. That was inside the human heart. And what better way to affect the human heart than for an innocent child to be born? Something that, that, that is, is cherished at least by the parents, if not by anybody else. And, and, and we see uh, perfection in, in, in a baby. Maybe not an absolute perfection like, like we're counting their fingers and toes that we, like we talked about one time. You know, perfection is not in the, in, in the two eyes, two ears, a nose, two with two nostrils and uh, five, uh, ten, 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 ten toes and ten fingers. That's not, when we, when, we t when we talk about a baby being perfect, that's not what we mean at all. It means that that baby is everything that we wanted and expected and we're waiting for. And now, now it has come and we see it and we hold it. because of, of, of our love and our expectation that it, that it is perfect. Well, God Himself is absolute perfection and He sees us as He does a small child. So why not send a child to, to, um, to be the one who would be the Savior of the world? But this isn't just any son or child being born, of course. It says, The government shall be upon His shoulder. In other words, he would carry the, 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 the weight of the world on him and, and the absolute rule of the world on himself. This child to be born would, would, would uh, rule all government. The, the reign and rule of, of this son, of, of this child to be born, would, would be great and would be absolute. And so that's... That's important to understand that, that this, this is, you know, just like any other child in, in one sense to be born as, as a firstborn son, but in another sense, he'll become ruler of the world. Wow. What a prediction. And then it gets into the names of this child. Now, we talked about a name that comes from Isaiah 7 earlier when we sang the song Emmanuel, God with us. That again was a, was a time when Isaiah was giving assurance to King Ahaz in particular that, that uh, his people would be restored. Even though judgment was coming through Assyria, that they would be restored. But anyway, there's some other names here that I think are very important. Some of them have to do with the earthly aspects of a government. And, and some of the earthly aspects here have to do with, first of all, wonderful counselor. Now, what does a counselor do? Think, think of this counselor more as, as a lawyer than as someone you go to to talk about your problems. You know, we, we tend to call them lawyers. You know, uh, some, somebody who, or, or advisor, that, that kind of thing. More, more like somebody who advises someone. Someone who expounds on God's word and on his law to someone and, 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 and seeks to instruct people and encourage them. Now that's something that's, that, that's done on earth. That's something that, that God chose uh, people like priests and prophets to do. And so in one sense, the, this, this child to come has, has an earthly role in, in uh, you know, telling people about God's Word, telling, telling them to follow God's covenant. Uh, it sounds an awful lot like what, what a preacher does too. Um, but but, but he, this is a, a counselor in the sense of an advisor who instructs about God's God's will and His way, His, his law, His wisdom. He comes and, and does this. But He is called a wonderful counselor. Now, 
we, we, we tend to take words today in our English language and we overuse them. Like awesome. <laughs> I mean, if everything is awesome, nothing is awesome, right? <laughs> and if everything is wonderful, then nothing's truly wonderful, is it? Well, this is talking about the wonders. The wonders of this life. Things that, that, that are mysterious. Things that are done that are truly awesome. Th things that are done that are truly wonderful. Um, I, I would even call them miracles. This counselor would be the one who would work miracles to, you know, before people. In other words, he would have the power of God. Because only, only God can, can really do miracles. And only God can, can uh, use, use people to perform miracles. So the indication is, is that this counselor who was counseling people and instructing them in God's laws and His will and His way would have the power of God within him to do miracles and signs to prove who he was. And that certainly was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Most certainly was. And remember too that Jesus Christ was a man. And He was very much a man in every single way. He was the Prince of Peace. Now, <clears throat> peace in, in terms of what? It's, it has to do with, first of all, He's a Prince, which means He is um, not the King, per se, but He is a ruler under a King who brings forth uh, peace to the world through His rule, through His reign in righteousness and justice. He's going to bring peace to the world. So he's, he's an under king, so to speak. Uh, and I would say he's under God. And he, and he, he is, but he is a chief leader and, and a ruler. So this is another kind of earthly language. Somebody under God who is here to establish a reign of peace on the earth where, where, no, where there would be no more war or strife or those kinds of things going on. But there would be peace between peoples. There would be a reconciliation between, uh, between peoples. And, and, and he, would, he would rule um, in this peaceful kingdom under the, the God who was king. And again, that describes Jesus perfectly. I mean, he's, he's the son of God, even though um, he, he was co-equal and co-eternal with God, we say. And, and, and as um, Colossians talks about, or Philippians, excuse me, Philippians talks about um, he did not consider holding on to God's throne uh, or, or that, that, that ruling with God was something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on human flesh and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Christ let go of his rights to the heavenly throne in order to come down and establish God's kingdom on earth. But he is still very much God and he is one with God. He's part of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal with God, and yet he, yet for a brief time, he uh, he relinquished his throne, took on human flesh, came down, in order to establish God's kingdom on earth. So he he is the prince under God, the Messiah who came, and set up God's kingdom on earth. Now you're saying, well, I haven't seen God's kingdom on earth yet. Oh yes, it, it it's already here, folks. It's right here in the heart of believers, for right now. We are, we are like ambassadors of a foreign nation here, here in this life. As, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are adopted as children of God and are citizens of that heavenly kingdom. 
But for the time being, you and I are here in this life. We, we, we are citizens of another country. And, 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 and the church is like an embassy. And Paul uses this analogy, by the way. We, we, we are in an embassy representing heaven here on earth. And, and you and I are ambassadors for Jesus Christ living here in this time temporarily. And then at some point, uh, Christ is going to come back as He promised and establish His kingdom on earth in a permanent way. And, and rule from the city of Jerusalem over all the earth. We know that from the Old Testament. That, that promise that was given long ago, we know it from the New Testament. And in particular, the book of Revelation. When Christ comes and establishes His kingdom on earth. A kingdom where He rules under, uh, under His heavenly Father, the, 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 uh, the God of the universe. And He will establish it in peace forevermore. And so we look forward to that day when that happens. But that kingdom right now is in our hearts as a deposit. And, and we have the Holy Spirit within us too as, as a gift to help us to um, live up to that promise and, and, and continue to live in a way that pleases Him so that when that end comes, we'll, we'll be ready. And it's through the Spirit that God sanctifies us and prepares us and helps keep us blameless for when that kingdom comes. So the reality of that kingdom is that it, that it is here now, but not yet in its fullness. And it's interesting, you know, you can look all through the New Testament and see that, that, that there's this idea of the now and not yet. <laughs> the, the, what's here and what's not yet here. So, so part of that kingdom is here, but it's not yet here. And we're anticipating it, it coming in its final form in the end. But it is very much here. And Christ has already established it in our hearts. Another thing that talks about the, the, this earthly sense of the kingdom. And, and, and of this ruler. Is, is that he will sit on his throne of David. It says that there in verse 7. He's a descendant of the Davidic dynasty. David was God's chosen king. Saul was really the, the, the king of the people. Now, um, God told um, um, Samuel to go and, and, and choose that king, and, and then God blessed that king. But of course, Saul ended up rejecting God and turning away and lost favor with God because of his own selfishness and, and sin. And so God goes to another young boy named David who was the boy who would be king, and, and God tells uh, Samuel to choose him. You know, Samuel goes through all the sons of Jesse and says, is it this one? Is it this one? Is it this one? And God says, no. Sa Samuel didn't just anoint, anoint, anoint one of those guys. God said, I, this is my chosen king. So David was the chosen king and he led the golden age of Israel. And of course, his descendants after him, um, you know, they, they failed to follow God's covenant and they sinned and the kingdom collapsed eventually. But what God promised David was that he would have a son to dwell on his throne forever. And that would mean an earthly king of the Davidic line. Well, that's Jesus. It's so, I mean, why do you think, you know, the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew spend so much time on a crazy genealogy? I mean, who cares today about genealogies? Who wants to read through all, all of that stuff? Well, it was to show that Jesus was very much a human being and he was of the lineage of King David. That was on both sides of his family. 
Um, Matthew focuses on Joseph, and Luke focuses on Mary. So Jesus was very much a king of the Davidic line. So all those things talk about his, his, his earth, the earthly part, and the, and the fact that his kingdom is going to be an earthly kingdom, not just a heavenly one. But there are a couple of words here, too, that tell us exactly who Jesus is as far as his divine origin. And the first one, he is called the mighty God. Now, you can't get much more um, specific than that. <laughs> this Prince of Peace who would come to earth, this wonderful counselor who would teach God's law to, to people here on earth, and, and, and this, this guy who would be part of, of David's dynasty, he is also more than just a human being. He is the mighty God, the hero God who steps in. That, that's what that word uh, mighty means. It, 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 it was also used for heroes. The hero God, when we talked about superheroes earlier, the hero God who would step into the world as a conquering hero to come and claim his kingdom and his, and his throne here on earth and, 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 and would wipe out the enemies of, of God and wipe out the enemies of, of, the pe of his people and establish his reign and rule on the earth. He is the mighty divine warrior. And later on, Isaiah, especially in chapters 40 through 66, to the very end of the book, focuses uh, more on this, uh, or especially the last, uh, last part of it, 50 to 66. Um, he talks about this Messiah as being the mighty warrior, the mighty divine warrior coming in and conquering. So this theme comes up later on. And, and for some reason, people in Israel focus too much on this. They thought when Jesus came... Again, he would come in as an, as an adult to wipe out the enemies of people. Well, first he had to come as a child in humble circumstances because the sin of humanity was deep. And he had to go deep. And Jesus came to the poorest of the poor to establish his kingdom. And eventually, yes, he did show himself to, to the prominent leaders of the day. But it all started with the lowest, the poorest of humanity. He spoke to them first, worked his way up the line, but he came to the deepest part of humanity, into its deepest need, and, and, and into poverty and humility. But he did eventually prove himself to be the Son of God, especially with the resurrection and with the promise that he would come and establish his kingdom. And, and, and take away and sweep away the evil and wickedness from, from this world, coming in as a conquering divine warrior to establish his kingdom. And that, that comes from heaven. That comes from his power. That comes from him being God. And Jesus is very much God. As much as he's very human, he's also very God. And also this idea of him being the everlasting father. He would be called... The father of many children, just like God the Father is called the father of all creation. Jesus would, 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 um, is going to become the father of, of many people, especially of, of a father of the souls of those who have been faithful. He will treat them as his own children and, and provide for them, bringing, in, bringing them into the kingdom. But not just like any father, he is the everlasting father, the father that has no beginning and no end, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is uncreated, by the way. He is not a created being. He is as, he is as eternal 
as God the Father is eternal, and He only took on human flesh for a brief time um, in, in, in this world to reveal God to us and, and to show us the way and to show us His kingdom. But He is very much God, co as I said, co-equal, co-eternal with God, the everlasting Father through all time and space. He was there at creation. The Gospel of John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that nothing that was made was made without Him, and all things were made through Him. <laughs> Jesus is the eternal, everlasting God, and, he is all, and, and, and when He comes into His kingdom, He'll become the Father of, of many of those souls who have given them, themselves over to Him. And he will establish, it says here, the throne of, on the throne of David there in Jerusalem. This is where that term Zionism comes in. You've heard this, this term thrown around. And people defame it all the time nowadays because of this Israel-Gaza con conflict. The Zionists. People who believe God is going to come back to uh, Mount Zion and establish his rule on the earth. And they... they Talk about the Israelites that are Zionists. They talk about Christians who are Zionists. My friends, you can call me a Zionist all you want to. I'll wear that label like a huge badge. Because God is coming back to Zion, the fortress of David, to establish His kingdom on this earth. And this is the promise for all time. And this is the way, that only way, that the world is going to be fixed is when He returns and establishes this kingdom. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, it says here. God's zeal. That, that word zeal is often translated jealousy. When you hear that in, in the Ten Commandments, with the Lord your God is a jealous God, um, it also can mean the Lord your God is a zealous God. He is zealous for His people. He is zealous for those that He has created. He is zealous for this world. And He is willing literally to move heaven and earth to do everything He can to fix it. And this is how He fixes it. Through sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, into the world. So this is what we celebrate at Christmas time. Jesus coming into the world to fix everything that has gone wrong with the world. The theme that connects both the Old and New Testament is the theme of Advent. God coming to us is what that means. Now next Sunday we begin the Advent season. That this Sunday is kind of a break, and I wanted to just talk about maybe a, a prophecy um, before the Advent comes. But that's the theme that connects both the Old and New Testament, this idea of Advent. God sending His Messiah into the world to establish His kingdom forevermore. And those who have faith in Him and believe in Him and repent of their sins can be part of that kingdom. And if we ask Him to repent us, he, if we ask Him to forgive us of our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, His Word tells us. And I hope that you have turned to the Lord Jesus today. The guy that you want to elect next year for president is not going to be able to save you, whoever it is. Only God through His Son, Jesus Christ, can do that. And so we celebrate Him this Christmas. Is coming into the world. Let's stand.